0: Oh, good morning. Surrender. As God announced the coming of Christ to Joseph and Mary, it became a moment of decision in their lives. Would they accept what God was doing or fight it? Would they surrender and obey or do their own thing? Praise God for their surrender to the work of the King. Listen to the angel's instructions to, and Mary's response. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Joseph also responded in acceptance to God's plan. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a man, a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took his wife. So their ordinary lives were turned completely upside down when the angel met them. It is amazing how this young woman was fully obedient to the Lord, even though she didn't fully understand the implications of what was about to happen to her. Joseph had every right to be suspicious and angry, but he obeyed God even when it didn't make sense to him. Last week we lit the first Advent candle, represented hope, the hope and expectation of the prophets that was found in Christ. The second candle represents surrender and obedience, Mary and Joseph, the parents of Jesus, willingly listened to God and followed his plan. May we also follow God even when we don't understand.
1: The third candle is the Bethlehem and Shepherd's candle, the candle of joy. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Imagine the difficulty of this young couple. They traveled a great and uncomfortable distance and found themselves without a nice place to have their baby. They had to be exhausted and a bit discouraged, but God had a plan and brought them through. Uncertainty turned to joy as God worked. Consider the shepherds luke 2 8 and in the same region there were shepherds in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night and an angel of the lord appeared to them and the glory of the lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear and the angel said to them fear not for behold i bring you good news of great joy which will be for all people for unto you is born this day in the city of david a savior who is christ the lord and this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those whom he is pleased. The shepherds quickly went quickly to see the baby, the savior, Jesus, and then told everyone what they had seen. And all who heard and wondered at what the shepherds told them, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. Think about those phrases, good news of great joy, glory to God in the highest, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God. The shepherds, the lowly bottom of society, were full of God's praises, they were experiencing the good news of great joy. That is the same good news that we celebrate this month, month, and it brings the same joy. With choirs of angels and all the heavenly host, we sing, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those whom He is pleased. May we hear and experience the wonder and joy of the birth of God's Son as we eagerly await the celebration of His birth. This third Advent candle represents joy. God brought Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem at just the right time and the angels and shepherds proclaimed the good news of great joy. May we proclaim that joy to others as well.
2: All right, well, let's make our way back to our seats. Merry Christmas, everybody. I'm Andrew, I'm one of the pastors here, and looking forward to diving into a little bit different topic. We have finished the book of Daniel, and so today we're going to return to our theme for the year, which takes us all the way back to January, when things were normal, or so we thought. Um, And then next week is our Christmas celebration service out here on the lawn Um, and the following week we'll also talk about this uh, theme this topic and that is remember and celebrate so i would point you back to go back and listen to pastor ron's sermon from january 26th a thousand years ago Um, and it was on our theme for the year remember and celebrate and in your notes you've got a full page of notes for some of you people i'm sorry i threw you off you've got your whole system and now you got a whole page now you're angry at me um, but uh, we're, we're going to review, actually, some of the points from Pastor Ron's sermon 11 months ago and as kind of um, some context for what we're doing. What we're talking about today um, is uh, the feasts of Israel. You'll see that there at the top of your notes. We want to talk about the feasts of Israel. What did God command the Israelites to do 3,500 years ago and what in the world does that have to do with us today? How can we think about remembering and celebrating even now as we're in the Christmas season? And um, for uh, some of you and for many of your friends, uh, it's a happy Hanukkah time of year. Hanukkah began, I believe, Thursday night. And so what I thought we would do is start off with a, uh, just a little bit of a phrase for some of you. If we can say uh, happy holidays today in Hebrew, I thought that might be a fun way to start. So um, the way that you say happy holiday, and for any Hebrew feast, by the way, if you're friends that, that are Jewish, you can say for any of the feasts throughout the year, it's Chag. Well, we got to get, so not too much. You don't want to hawk anything up. But you also got to have a little bit of a ch- touching in the back of your throat. So it's Chag Sameach. Yeah, there you go. It's a ch- at the beginning and a ch- at the end, okay? So everyone say Chag Sameach. And that means happy holidays. And if you really wanted to get, uh, have some fun, you could say Chag Chanukah. Okay, so you just get two of them in a row there. And uh, I know I make fun of Pastor Ron because he can't do that in the back of his throat. So I thought you'd all share in my joy and his misery. <laughs> One more time, Chag Sameach. And, and really that means Happy Holy Day, right? Happy Holiday is what we're, we're speaking of when we talk about that. Uh, and in the midst of, of a, a weird Christmas this year with, with COVID and masks and, uh, and different ways of shopping and all kinds of, Uh, just interesting things that have happened this year. We do want to talk about how to celebrate and how to remember. And the Bible speaks to this in in many different ways. And and Pastor Ron thought that it would be good for us to talk about the feasts of Israel because God instituted for the people of Israel, uh, commanded them to remember and to celebrate. In fact, in a way that... We think of celebration as, as joyous and coming together and fun and laughter and food and all those things and singing. Um, but, but as a command, um, it was actually punishable for those who wouldn't celebrate. And so we have this interesting dynamic um, where it is a command, and yet it is still something that is to be celebrated with joy. So we're going to take a look at some of the festivals and holidays of, of the Jewish people. Um, and, and at the top of your notes, I think that the way to enter into it is to, to say this. Remembering what God has done and celebrating it is a biblical pattern, command, and blessing. It's a biblical pattern, it is also a command, and it is also a blessing. And I think to have all of those laid out for us is a a helpful way to think about this. Now, um, you'll notice in your notes today that it's a little bit more colorful on the front and the back. And um, I don't really have um, blanks for you to fill in, but I have a lot of blank space for you to fill in. So for those of you that are note takers, um, you might be thrown off a little bit, but there's going to be a lot of information. And I'm trying to find a balance here today with education, information, um, and also thinking about application and transformation. And so hopefully what, what some of this will do is to give you some background, some context for understanding the Old Testament better and also for understanding the Gospels better as Jesus came as a Jew, celebrated these Jewish holidays um, uh, as an observant Jew, kept them uh, strictly and religiously. And so we want to take a look at how that helps us understand these things. And so, so here's, here's the problem sometimes. Sometimes we want application that's easy. Just give it to me. And that's why we like Proverbs, because a lot of times that's what's there in Proverbs, right? Um, but, but oftentimes, application may not be able to happen immediately. And so that's why we need to be able to to not just hear a a sermon, hear a message, hear a podcast, but we need to chew on it. And we need to file it away. So whatever that means for you, if that means listening to it again during the week, if that means looking at your notes again, if that means writing something down or changing your Bible reading plan, whatever it is, um, what we want to do is surround ourselves with knowledge of the Scriptures so that we can come to application as the Spirit gives it to us. Uh, The more you know the more you can do with what you know, right? Also, the more you know, the more proud you can become, right? And the more you can just stack up a bunch of trivia. Um, trivia doesn't save you. Um, trivia actually annoys people for the most part if you can't connect it to a holy life and something else. But, but we, we, we need to be able to, to know what we're reading when we read the scriptures. How many of you read some part of the Old Testament this year, got through it, said, I have no idea what I just read and I'm not sure what to do with it? Anybody? Yeah. Okay. Very good. Yes, that, that is happening all the time. So what I want to do for us is I want to pray, and then I kind of want to dive in and hang on for dear life as I make uh, our way through uh, these notes. We're going to be turning our Bibles all over the place. So whether you've got your app available or a Bible, if you need a Bible, there's Bibles on the table over here. You will be less bored if you grab one, and you'll also be able to check if what I'm saying is somewhat in line with the Scriptures. All right, so let's pray, and we'll get into this. Lord, thank you for the time that we have this morning. Uh, I pray um, for, against actually, all the distractions. Um, And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, be with um, our nursery workers and preschool workers and the kids workers who are um, engaging with our our kids right now. Lord, bless them. Thank you for their work. Um, And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, give us um, the opportunity to think about um, this topic of remembering and celebrating. Lord, that we might see what you told the children of Israel to do, that we might see what you've had us do, and that we might incorporate these things into our family uh, patterns and rhythms and traditions. Lord, that as a church, we might see why we do some of the things that we do. And Lord, I pray that we would be blessed by your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we look at the flow of scripture, if we can just boil it down to getting to where we need to go, We go back to the book of Genesis and we get to creation, right? And we have Adam and we have Eve, um, and we talk about their fall into sin and the curse that God puts on the earth and on the serpent and the difficulties that we now uh, enter into with childbirth and conflict relationally, conflict with the ground, with the earth, with life and death. Uh, Our next story really is Cain and Abel and the first uh, murder is sad. testament to what it means to be sinners. Uh, And then we have uh, the stories leading up to Noah and the flood. And coming out of the flood narrative, which is very global in its aspect, we move to the Tower of Babel. And from there we go even further and we narrow down to a single family, this man named Abram and his wife Sarai, who are Arameans in modern-day Syria Um, who are called by God to go to a land that he will show them and to become a special people. And the Jewish people find their roots there in Abram. And from Abram, his name is changed to Abraham. God promises a son, and that son finally comes, Isaac. Isaac and Rebekah cannot have a baby for a long time either, and then lo and behold, they have two. Um, They have Jacob and Esau, and God chooses Jacob, for the family line to go through. And Jacob has 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. They go to Egypt where they're enslaved. And it is at this point that we, that we join the narrative. It is in slavery in Egypt. And the people cry out to God for relief and for salvation. And Moses is called out of retirement to come back to Egypt. And he tells Pharaoh what? Let my people go. And it is through that dramatic sequence of events, of plagues, and finally the death of the firstborn, that we get to Passover. And Passover is the first feast that we want to take a look at. You'll see in your notes that I laid out for you um, several of the feasts. And I, no- I noted for you where in the scripture you can go to learn more. So if you want to know more about Passover, you should go to Exodus 12 and 13, which speaks of uh, how Israel gets out of Egypt, what God does to free his people through the Passover and then the institution then of the feast. In Exodus 23, we have the first mention of all the feasts that God is going to institute. You could also look at Leviticus chapter 16 for um, dozens of verses on just the day of atonement, Yom Kippur. Leviticus 23 has a a, kind of a a summary of all of the, the feast days. And then you can see in Numbers 28 and 29, as the children of Israel get closer and closer to the land of Canaan, the promised land, God is giving them more and more information about what they're going to need when they cross the Jordan and they enter into the land. Moses is no longer going to be the leader, and they're finally going to be in the land. What do they do? Well, one of the things they do is they follow Numbers 28 and 29 in which sacrifices and offerings to do at the various feasts, in addition to the regular offerings that are needed. And then lastly, you're going to want to take a look at Deuteronomy 16 to see what, uh, what the instructions are for God's people as they enter into the land. We'll t- take a look at a few of those um, this morning. Um, but what's helpful for us now that we're to Passover is I want to kind of locate us in the, the Jewish calendar. Okay? Um, and different cultures and different civilizations over time have all had different ways of counting. That's why we have all these amazing um, things like Stonehenge, and um, some of the, the vast uh, temples down in Central America, and all these places all around the world where we have this, this tracking of time, and the tracking of the sun and the moon and the stars, which should not surprise us because back in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God tells us why he gave us the sun, the moon, and the stars, and it's for seasons and times. It's for us to keep track so that we might um, set aside rhythms for our lives and be able to count the days and the seasons as they go. So you'll see on your notes that the first feast is actually Sabbath. It's Shabbat, it's the, the weekly feast that God has given for His people. And how is it a feast? Well, it's a feast because it's something to observe, um, and it is a day of rest and a day of worship to take off from the routine to focus on the Lord. Uh, The the scripture is replete with all kinds of examples of what the Sabbath is and isn't. In fact, Jesus has a lot of run-ins with the religious authorities about the abuses of Sabbath that they've taken. So Sabbath kind of sets the stage that every seven days of rest, based on God's rest at creation, and that begins the rhythm for, check this out, not just the people of Israel, but for all people, our seven-day Week is established there at the beginning. Now, if you can decipher what that calendar is on your page, you can see that what we're trying to do with this, and also the one on the back of of your notes, is trying to get an idea of how our Gregorian calendar um, lines up with the Hebrew calendar. So the months are are much different. And there's another reason that is different, is that our year and our months are basically solar, We basically have a solar calendar based on the sun. Um, Some civilizations have based their calendars on the moon, and so they have a lunar calendar. The Jewish calendar is a lunisolar calendar. So the years are solar, but the months are lunar. Now, what does that mean? Practically, that means um, the difference between that is that we have a leap year, right? This year was a leap year, and so we had an extra day, February 29th. Woohoo! one more day. Well, the Jewish calendar gets an extra month every two or three years to keep all the seasons in the right place, okay? Because their months are based on the moon, and their years are based on the sun. And so that's why things are off, and they're different. And that's why, if you've noticed on your calendar, that's why Hanukkah floats around a little bit. It's not always on the same day, like Christmas is always on December 25th. So all the Jewish feasts, they'll, they'll float around in our Gregorian calendar because it's two calendars trying to line up, okay? Um, that's al- the, also the big difference is that the Jewish day, the new day begins when the sun goes down. Our new day technically begins at midnight, right? Or you could say when the sun comes up in the morning, it's a new day. Um, but the Jewish day begins at sundown, all right? So th- th- those are some things that hopefully get us situated there. You'll see then for Passover, um, it's, it's Pesach in, in Hebrew, that means to Passover, okay? It's also connected with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that happens in the spring of the year, uh, which makes sense because we know that Jesus um, was crucified on Passover, and so Easter and Passover usually uh, uh, are close by each other in the calendar, The the next feast that we want to take a look at briefly is Pentecost. That's the Greek word for it. We know that in the New Testament. It's the Feast of Weeks. It's called Shavuot in Hebrew. It's counting of the weeks, and it happens 50 days, which is why you get Pentecost, pent, 50, okay, uh, 50 days after the the Passover. Uh, A minor feast is Trumpets, the Feast of Trumpets, which has now become Rosh Hashanah um, in the fall. And this is the new year in the sense of agriculture. In fact, the Jewish people have two New Years. Okay, so, in fact, some people think they have four, and it gets a little complicated. But the point here is that the, the harvest was ending, and so it was an agricultural New Year. As you looked to the cycles of the crops and the ground and the harvest and the food, became such a such a, um, a rhythm and pattern for the people. Okay, um, trumpets were blown. Um, and it was called, Rosh Hashanah means literally head of the year. It means the beginning of the year. Okay, and it also introduces the high holy days, or sometimes they're called the days of awe. And between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, there's ten days. And those ten days are incredibly important days for the Jewish people. As they confess their sin, they believe that God writes their name in the book of life for the next year, not for eternity, for the next year, based on their actions. And so there's a lot of Um, uh, a lot of uh, good charity work done in that time, and a lot of soul-searching by Jewish people. So that culminates then in the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, um, which is uh, in the fall. And that is the holiest day of the year. Holiest day of the year for the Jewish people. And you can read all about that in Leviticus chapter 16. But the reason it was the holiest day of the year is because it was the one day of the year that the high priest could enter into the holy place, the, the holy of holies. The one time of the year that the high priest entered into the presence of the ark of God, which is the throne of God on earth. Uh, it was this incredibly uh, detailed, carefully laid out process. Uh, there was a sacrifice. That's where we get the term scapegoat was from the day of atonement and, and the way of, of symbolizing how God was going to cover over Israel's sin. And so it's the only mandated fast day in the Old Testament. There's a fast. Um, You didn't have to be in Jerusalem like you do for some of the feasts that we're talking about. But there were all these detailed and precise rituals. Um, People basically didn't work that day. They didn't eat that day. And so they bared their souls to the Lord and pleaded with him to take care of their sins. Uh, uh, Amy and I were in Israel in 2004 as students um, during Yom Kippur. And um, we fasted that day, and we we did some special events to to learn more about the day. But I think that the biggest culture shock was that we played ultimate frisbee on the freeway because the entire country shut down. It was Highway 1 running from Jerusalem to Tel Aviv, the two biggest cities in Israel, and we laid on the ground in the middle of the freeway. We played ultimate because the entire country shut down. Can you imagine going to the 5 freeway in the middle of the day, by the way, in the middle of the day, and just playing a, a flag football game. That's, that's what it was like. That's how seriously they still take this day to shut everything down. That's why in 1973, um, several Arab nations attacked Israel because they knew the nation would be shut down on Yom Kippur. Uh, right after, that is the, the Feast of Tabernacles or sometimes called the Feast of Booths. Um, it's known as Sukkot in Hebrew. And this commemorates... Um, the, the living in the wilderness, and we'll talk about that in a bit. Where we are right now is the Feast of Dedication, or Hanukkah. Um, and Hanukkah uh, actually is tied very closely to what we just studied in Daniel. Hanukkah is, because, uh, is celebrated because the Jewish people um, took back the temple and took back Jerusalem and eventually Israel from the Greeks. Um, it was just an amazing, miraculous um, event for them finally to have control of their land. In fact, it was the last time that the Jews had control of their land until 1948. Um, so this happened in about 164 um, BC. And so it is not a biblical feast, but it is a feast that the rabbis set up um, in between the Old and New Testament. So in fact, if you go to John chapter 10, you'll see Jesus in Jerusalem celebrating Hanukkah. Um, it says in, in the Bible, it says feast of dedication. Um, it's because they, they rededicated the temple. And so Jesus celebrates um, the feast of Hanukkah. And it says specifically in John 10, 22, that it's winter. and um, That locates where this feast is happening. And so Jesus celebrated Hanukkah. The last one is Purim. And Purim um, is seen in Esther chapter 9. And so we actually studied Esther not too long ago. Um, and in Esther chapter 9, after the Jews are freed from Haman and um, his... Uh, scheme to try to wipe them out, they celebrate celebrate Purim, which is a really exciting holiday um, for the Jewish people. It, it's, it's somewhat similar to Halloween because there's a lot of dressing up and a lot of goodies. Um, and so this kind of gives you, there are other minor feasts and other things that are celebrated, but this gives you the calendar of the Jewish year. Now, I want to zero in um, um, in a minute on three of the feasts. They're called the pilgrimage feasts because three of the feasts God required all males in Israel, to converge on the place that he had set up for worship, uh, which eventually was Jerusalem, but before that was in various places wherever the tabernacle was living. Um, but, but first, our sermon is called Remember and Celebrate. Our theme is called Remember and Celebrate. And so I want to talk about remembering. I'll talk about memory or memorial. In fact, a lot of these feasts um, are very similar to our memorial day. Um, There's a lot of tie-ins. A lot of Jewish festivals are, they're religious and cultural and political, and they're kind of all mashed together. That's a little bit hard for us as Americans to wrap our minds around. But they're all memorials because they're all pointing back to something that happened in the past, something that needs to be remembered. Now, can you go to the book of Deuteronomy, please? The fifth book of the Bible, book of Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy is uh, basically a series of sermons that Moses gives to the children of Israel on the plains of Moab, as they can see across the Jordan River, they can look to the west and see the land that God promised them. And right before they enter, Moses gives the law for a second time. That's Deuteronomy, the second law. He gives it to them again, and they, re- they review what has happened to them and how they're going to live in the land that God is giving to them. In the book of Deuteronomy, the word remember is used 13 times specifically for the people of Israel to look back at something that happened in their history. Eight times the word forget with a negative, don't forget, do not forget, is used in the same way. And so you have at least 21 times where there is this emphasis on don't forget, remember, remember, don't forget. This constant refrain of looking back and remembering for the purpose of living a life for God in the present. So when we think of remember, we don't just think of Trying to use our brains to go back in time to remember something. We want to do more than that. We want to remember for a purpose. Remember for praise. Remember for worship. Remember for seeing God's faithfulness. It's to recall, to recollect. How about this word? To commemorate. To commemorate. And in some senses, you can use this word to be recite. Because throughout the book of Deuteronomy, Moses tells the people, "This is not just a mental exercise." It's not just going on in your brain. It's to happen, and then it's to be told to the next generations and to review it and to review it and to review it. So this morning, I don't know what you thought about the songs that we sang, but maybe you were ranking these Christmas carols ah, I don't really like this one that much or, oh this one's my favorite this one comes in at number three like uh, you know I don't know we, we're so familiar I think with some of the carols that sometimes we, we begin to, to do that we don't have to look at, I don't have to look at the words because I know this song very well uh, and then you forgot verse three and you have to look at it again right um, well well what, what we're doing what we're doing when we're, we're doing that is we're doing something familiar and if we're not careful right familiarity breeds contempt Um, and and we just kind of look at it as something that we did when we were little or something that used to be important or something that's, oh, it's nice. That's tradition. That's nice. But if that's all that it is, then it doesn't have an effect on our lives. And what Moses, what God wanted for the children of Israel was for them to seriously rejoice. To be serious, to look back at what God has done and then to rejoice because of what he's done. Go to Deuteronomy 9. Verse 7, Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 7. In this section of the sermon that Moses is giving the children of Israel, he's telling them to be careful not to think that when they get to the, the promised land, that all, all this great stuff that they have, they don't go, oh yeah, look what we did. They don't, they don't pull a Nebuchadnezzar and look out and say, oh, look, at, look what I've done. And, um, God is reminding them, look back and say, it's not because we are the greatest people, it's because God loved us and chose us. So what are you supposed to do with this? Verse six, actually. Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. What a great sermon to hear. <laughs> Remember and do not forget. See that, that double right there. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Wow, what a great thing to remember. Why do we remember that? We need to remember that because we need to be humble before the Lord. Humility is required to worship God in a true way. And so Moses, in this instance, calls the people, Hey, remember the jerks that you've been. Remember the sin that you have committed. Remember what happened. And then in that, remember that God is the one who gives you what you need. That God is the one who provides for you. Just go back a few chapters into Deuteronomy chapter 4. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, there's a, a review of all that happened. Moses tells the children of Israel mainly because the, the generation before them has all died out, and so to keep the memory, he needs to tell them and recite it to them. And in Deuteronomy 4 9, he says this only take care and keep your soul diligently. Why? Because if you don't, you're going to forget the things that your eyes have seen unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Grandparents, your grandchildren need to hear the stories of God's faithfulness to you. They need to hear of the good old days, um, not just to look back, with nostalgia, but they need to look back and see that the same God who is there for them now is the same God that provided 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago. And they need to hear it from a real person. They need to hear it from you as you incarnate what God has done in your life. Tell it to your children and to your children's children. Keep it alive. Now, last one in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 8. I know we're jumping around a bunch. Deuteronomy chapter 8. If you have the ESV, you have a title for this chapter. What's it say? Remember the Lord your God. Remember the Lord your God. In fact, I remember reading Deuteronomy chapter 8 out in the wilderness in Israel, in the very place where this happened. Our professor had us get off the bus and just walk out into the wilderness and meditate on this chapter. I'll never forget that. The desolate nature of where they were and then just thinking about what lay over the river the land flowing with milk and honey, what God was about to give them. And here's what was important to do in that. Look at verse 11. Deuteronomy 8, verse 11. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God. By the way, um, if, we, if we think, man, why are the Jewish people such a forgetful people? Ah, no. Why are humans such forgetful people? Why do we forget well, it's like why when we get frustrated with our kids, like, why didn't you learn that lesson that I taught you once? I learned all my lessons when I learned them once, and they're, oh, wait. Right, this is what the children of Israel needed. They needed to remember because we're forgetful people. We tend to curve in on ourselves. And so have you ever noticed how stories of the past, not your stories, of course, but stories other people tell, they kind of get little bit better as they age, and they look a little bit better, and then they become the hero, and all of a sudden, wow, that story was really all about you. Fantastic. That gets really annoying really quick, right? And so what God is doing is saying, remember, this story is about what I did for you, what I did for you, what I did for you. Because eventually, if the story is about what I did for me, then it's praise me, praise me. That, that's what it turns into, right? But if it's what God did, then it's about praising him. You didn't get out of there by yourselves. Who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. Who brought you water out of the flinty rock. Who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know. That he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth." You shall remember the Lord your God for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And there is something there for us as well. For all of us, the house, the car, the life, the legacy, the children, the grandchildren, the ministry, the accolades, the degrees, the salary, the cars, the RVs, the trailers, all those things, which are good things that God gives to us to enjoy. All of those things, if we begin to twist the story and think that we are the source of all those things, we've missed it. We've missed it. Enjoy the good things that God has given to you. We're not to be ascetics. We're not to to live in the desert on top of a pole and and afflict ourselves. We're to enjoy the good gifts that God has given to us as long as you remember that they're God's good gifts. That's so important for us, especially at Christmas time. (laughs) Here come the presents. Here come the new things. Here come the new gadgets. Here come all these things that are good things that we're supposed to enjoy. But when you make a good thing a God thing, and it's called idolatry, and that's exactly what Moses warned the children of Israel about. So we remember, we look back, we recall, we recollect, that's so important, and then we celebrate. And I just stole Pastor Ron's points from the sermon back in January, basically because I think it's been such a crazy year, nobody remembers that sermon anyway. <laughs> um, no offense. <laughs> Do you remember that sermon? <laughs> January 26th. You can see it there on your notes. Celebration in the Bible. And what Pastor Ron was trying to do there was to show us the role of celebration in the Bible. And so really quickly, just the points there, celebration was commanded and instituted by God. Imagine that. You must celebrate. Oh, man, you mean I have to be happy and joyful? God commands the celebration. He wants us to celebrate. We must do it. Second, celebration includes praise and joyous exuberance for God. Third, celebrating was a priority, and it took effort, resources, and time. Isn't that the case? <laughs> uh, man, Christmas is going to be great this year. It's what Some of us parents are trying to do and then we just wear ourselves out making Christmas great for the kids, right? Just working and staying up and, and wrapping presents and all those things. My wife was up past midnight last night getting packages and gifts ready to send to family and wrapping presents and all those things. Um, it, it takes effort, and it takes work, and it takes prioritizing. It's not going to happen unless we do it. So notice notice those two things. It's to be happy and joyful and praising God. And that all takes work. And that's good. That, that's all good. And so it, th- there's, a, there's a fine balance to be had when we're remembering and we're celebrating. It takes work to do it. It takes thoughtfulness. It takes us remembering what God has done. So many of your families right now are practicing traditions that have been passed down to you. And the key there is, is to not forget what the tradition's for. Right? So I don't know what it is. Advent calendar. It's a Christmas tree. It's Christmas carols. It's carol sings. It's, uh, I don't know, all the things around your house, the decorations, the lights. Um, all of those things are fine and they're great. And some of them are just, just because we do them, just for fun. But don't miss the importance of remembering where the tradition came from. We don't want to be legalists about it, but if we can look back on the goodness that God has done and given to us in our lives, then we're able to celebrate in a more authentic way. In fact, one of the scholars that I read this week said, the fundamental reason he boiled it all down, all the feasts, all the celebration, all the sacrifices, I mean, literally think about that, all the animals that are having their throats slit, all the blood, all the, all the, the meat and the guts, all that stuff, The fundamental reason for the Israelites to celebrate is so that they will remember. And so it's this circular thing. You remember to celebrate, and you celebrate to remember. You remember to celebrate, and you celebrate to remember. Now, Pastor Ron then said, why celebrate? And there's just four quick points there. We bring glory to God. Celebration, done the right way, brings glory to God. It combats pride, and it breeds humble gratitude, as we saw in Deuteronomy. Number three, it encourages our faith by bringing life and joy to our walk with God. Number four, it reminds us of God's faithfulness even in difficult times. And I went back and read Pastor Ron's notes in January, and he was giving a, an update on on Susie and where things were at with um, with cancer and doctors and all this stuff. And, and at that point, it said, you know, in the last six months, and then I thought, now with the updates that Pastor Ron has given us and Susie's given us, it's been more than six months now, and we look back, and it reminds us of God's faithfulness even in difficult times. So I want to say one thing really quickly, all of this talk of celebration does not mean you can't feel sad at this time of year. Um, Anybody—let me make this generic—anybody been sad at Christmas before? Yeah. Um, You can celebrate and be sad, and we can allow people in our families to be sad and not celebrate the way we want to celebrate or the way we think they should celebrate. We can be sad and celebrate. We can be sad and be happy. <laughs> we can be sad and be joyful. We can, we can figure out how to do those things. Now, that doesn't always look neat and tidy. It might look like snot and tears and blowing noses and all kinds of things, right? It, it might look like that. But, I mean, I, I, who am I to give you permission? But <laughs> you have permission to be sad at Christmas. Um, read the Christmas story. Um, there's some sad things in there, aren't there? The, this hugely joyful event, and, and they had all these infants slaughtered by King Herod, tied to it. Um, we, we have, there's loved ones that won't be celebrating with us this year because of COVID or because they're not here anymore, because they've moved away. There will be those things. But in the midst of all of it, we recall God's faithfulness and God's call to celebrate. Now, let's look at the three pilgrimage feasts really quick. And these are laid out in Exodus 23 and in Deuteronomy 16 specifically. Exodus 23:17 says, Three times in the year shall all your males appear before Yahweh. And Deuteronomy 16:16 16, 16 says, Three times a year all your males shall appear before Yahweh your God at the place that he will choose, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Booths. They shall not appear before Yahweh empty-handed. So quickly, let's look at those. Passover and unleavened bread are technically separate, but they're smashed together because they happen right after each other on the calendar. So Passover is one day, right? The celebration of the Passover. We had a Passover Seder the week before shutdowns happened back in March. How many of you were here at that Seder in the gym? Okay. Um, Hopefully you remember some of those things, but celebrating the Passover, that incorporates kind of some more modern or, or medieval practices, but also goes back to the scriptures and what God told the people of Israel to do as they celebrated the Passover. What do they do at the Passover? Well, one of the parts of the Seder meal is actually a child is tasked to ask an adult, usually the the one who's running it, the father or the grandfather, to ask them, Why are we doing this, Grandpa? And it's it's all written out, it's part of the it's part of the script. But the whole purpose is to recall. And now think about this. The first celebrations of Passover, they actually remembered it. But it didn't take very long for it to be, um, well, grandpa, great-grandpa remembers it, but we, we weren't there. I was just a baby when we crossed the Red Sea. I mean, imagine missing out on that one, right? <laughs> All your older siblings got to cross, and you, did, you just missed it. Okay? But, but you, look back, you look back, and sooner or later, nobody was there. But the wording is, God saved us. God brought us out of slavery. There was no distinction. With, well, were you actually a slave in Egypt or did you, were you born in the wilderness? There's none of that. They're the people of Israel. They're God's people and God rescued them. And so we remember this. In fact, we do it today and the Jewish people do it today, 3,500 years later and they say us, we, right? It's about how God saved us, them, we, right? And so it's a statute forever is what the Bible says. You're to keep it. It is a memorial day. Why? To remember God's rescue of his people. That is the purpose of the Passover and then the seven days of feasting after it with unleavened bread. Um, we're, the, the children of Israel were to celebrate it because it was a sign. It was a sign for them to remember what had happened, to review the, the story, to look at the story, and then to celebrate that. You can see that Passover and Unleavened Bread are practiced throughout the scriptures. They practice it in Numbers chapter 9. That's the first time they celebrate it after um, the actual Passover. So it's the first celebration. They celebrate it in Joshua 5 when they've crossed over the Jordan and come into the Promised Land. Um, they, they celebrate it in Ezra. There's two celebrations um, that, are, that are talked about in Second Chronicles. And it's at that one that I want to take a look really quickly. Second Chronicles chapter 30. Second Chronicles, chapter 30. This is the story of King Hezekiah and the Passover that they celebrated. Hezekiah ha- had, a, had a wicked father. King Ahaz was a, a bad king. Um, he introduced all kinds of pagan idolatrous worship, even in the temple itself. And so Hezekiah restores temple worship. He calls the people back to their God. They actually invite Jews that are living all over the northern kingdom that's been wiped out at this point. They're kind of living in little pockets and neighborhoods and cities. Hey, come on, join us in Jerusalem. We're going to celebrate the Passover. We haven't celebrated it like we're supposed to. And so we're going to put on a big party. Chapter 30 of Second Chronicles, and verse 5, says, So they decreed to make a proclamation throughout all Israel, from Beersheba to Dan. That, that's a, a, a phrase to say from the south to the north that the people should come and keep the Passover to Yahweh, the God of Israel, at Jerusalem, for they had not kept it as often as prescribed. It's a nice way of saying it, that they've been ignoring it and doing the wrong thing. Uh, But what happens is when the people um, get together, they have to keep it a a month afterwards because they missed it, and they decide, well, what should we do? And we think that the Lord would let us celebrate it a month late, and so they celebrate it a month late so they could do it Right? Uh, in order to have everyone, all the priests and Levites purified, and in order to make sure they knew what they were doing, because many of them had never celebrated it, they put it off for a month, and they celebrated. Now look at verse 13. 2 Chronicles 30, verse 13. And many people came together in Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the second month. It was supposed to be celebrating the first. A very great assembly. It talks about how the altars uh, that are being knocked down and thrown away, they're following the law of Moses in verse 16. Um, In verse uh, 18, a majority of the people had not cleansed themselves, but they ate the Passover otherwise than is prescribed. For Hezekiah had prayed for them, saying, May the good Lord pardon everyone who sets his heart to seek God, the Lord, the God of his fathers, even though not according to the sanctuary's rules of cleanness. And the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. Now watch this. Verse 21 is a great verse. And the people of Israel who were present at Jerusalem kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with what? Great gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing with all their might to the Lord. This was a fantastic assembly. They kept the feast. They were doing what God had called them to do, so much so that in a few verses, they're like, let's do it for seven more days. And they keep a 14-day feast instead of a seven-day feast. Now, that's incredible and we see that, that Jesus' parents kept the Passover and they would travel down to Jerusalem every year to keep it. But just think of the disruption of your life. Think if you lived far away from Jerusalem. By far away in Israel, it's more like 100 miles. But uh, you got to walk or get a camel or a donkey. It's going to take you several days to leave your place, to get to Jerusalem, to set up the tents or to rent a room, celebrate the feast, pack everything up and go back. And these people were farmers. So they had left their crops. They had left their homes. They left everything. And they did this three times a year. They got up and left. What does that mean? What did they have to do while they were absent from their property, from their farms? They had to trust God. They had to trust God. They they locked it up and they left. And for... Passover and unleavened bread, you're talking a, a, a week in Jerusalem. Travel days on either side. Um, for the Feast of Weeks, they only had to be there one day, and I'm sure some of the farmers liked that feast the best, because they could just get in, do the thing, and get back to their farms. Um, but even when they celebrated uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, they had to be in Jerusalem for seven more days. So you've got several weeks of every year dedicated to obeying these commands. So there's, there's, there's two sides of this, right? You had to do it. But you got to do it, right? You you had to get there. You had to do it. But it was a a happy time. It was a family reunion. It was patriotic. Uh, It was uh, an opportunity to be close to where God dwelt in the tabernacle and then later on in the temple. And so um, Passover specifically is the one that we're kind of more familiar with because we see it celebrated more in the Bible and because Jesus celebrates it three times in the book of John because Jesus has a Passover Seder meal Um, with his disciples, that transforms into the Lord's Supper. So there's a lot of things from Passover that we take into our monthly celebration of the Lord's Supper, which we'll do next week, right? Um, So we'll be celebrating that, and we'll be remembering. It's a memorial to remember what Christ has done. And, And this Passover meal, Passover feast, clearly is fulfilled in Jesus. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, that Jesus is our Passover lamb. Now, Quickly, most of us are Gentiles, but we have Jewish roots, all of us. <laughs> Maybe genetic, but certainly religious, okay, or spiritually. Our, our Christian faith has Jewish roots. Go ahead and read Romans 11 um, for more about that. But, but we have Jewish roots, and so we can learn so much from these things that we don't have to do. Okay? We don't have to keep these feasts, okay? But we have so much to learn from them and i fear that our attitude generally is we don't have to keep them don't need to know about them it's not directly applicable well might it have might it have some helpful stuff for you to learn though i mean might it be good to have background knowledge of these things um, might you be able to learn from how god treated his people 3000 years ago with how god is treating you now in our feast of christmas there's so much good stuff here the, the next, um, the next uh, feast that we need to look at briefly, in, is we know it as Pentecost. Um, but the Jewish people call it the, the Feast of Weeks, Shavuot. And it was right in the middle of, of wheat harvest. Um, and it was this big celebration. But then and now, it is one of the most neglected of Israel's feasts. Um, and, and it didn't really have as much of a connection to any specific event, right? So the Passover, it has an actual riveting story, the plagues, um, killing the lamb, the blood over the doorposts, right? All the firstborn of the Egyptians dying. Um, it would have been just a, an amazing story. Someone should make a movie. And they they didn't have that necessarily with the Feast of Weeks to tie it to, but they would count 50 days after the, feast, the Passover Feast of Unleavened Bread, and they would come back to Jerusalem when Jerusalem was the capital, or wherever the, the tabernacle was before that, and they would give thanks. And that this was specifically a harvest of Festival, it was thanks to God for the rain that he had provided probably prayer for more rain as they always do in Israel Um, and What's interesting um, for us is that on the feast of Pentecost Acts 2 occurs Right, so I don't think we always make that connection But the reason that the Holy Spirit is poured out at Pentecost is because Jewish people from all over the world are converging on Jerusalem And so it's interesting that in a feast that celebrated God's pouring out of rain on the people, God would pour out His Spirit on His people and begin the church. So interesting to see the parallels between what is symbolized and represented in the wheat harvest and in God's giving of rain to what God has done in Acts chapter 2 on the church by pouring out His Holy Spirit. It's also interesting that in, in Deuteronomy 16, there's this command in the midst of the instructions. You shall rejoice. You shall rejoice. And we did it this morning, right? Good Christian men rejoice. We sang that song. and we, we were reminded to rejoice for all that God has done. Um, I want to start celebrating this feast because um, one of the things that Jews today now do is they decorate their homes with greenery and they eat cheesecake. So I'm in for that feast. I'm all in on that feast. Um, we'll be instituting that. Um, the cheesecake, cheese crepes, uh, two loaves of holiday bread. It sounds fantastic. Now, the last feast that the Jews had to show up at the capital for was the, the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. It's known as Sukkot. Um, we got to be in Israel when Amy and I were in college for, for this feast. And um, a sukkah uh, is a, um, a shelter. Um, so it's like somewhere between a tent and a lean-to, Okay. Um, and, and what you'll see all over uh, Jerusalem, in fact, when you would go to the old city, you'd see on people's balconies, uh, on pe- in people's yards, um, in, in squares, in public areas, you'd see sukkahs, sukkot. You'd see tents. And some of them were, had, like, literally would have this kind of setup. Okay, um, But the top, ha- you have to be able to see the stars through it at night. And you're supposed to live as much as you can in the sukkah to remember what your ancestors did while they lived in the wilderness. They lived in temporary structures. When Moses looked out and saw that the the cloud of fire was moving, pick up the tents, let's go. The cloud stopped, pitch your tents, here we are, we're going to stay here. Right? And it's to remember this, that the temporariness of what had happened and then comparing it to the permanency of God's promised land. It was so important for them to do. This is the most celebratory of the three feasts. This one is the party. Um, there's all these new traditions that have been added in the last hundreds of years um, that, that, that are, are symbolic and, and add to this. Um, but in the scriptures, King Solomon decided to dedicate the new temple at this feast. So in 1 Kings 8, he decides to celebrate this feast at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, which is so interesting because what is the temple? It's the permanent structural replacement of the temporary tabernacle. You see that? They had a tabernacle where they worshiped God, but it got moved. Sometimes it was at Shiloh. Sometimes it was at Kiryat jerim Sometimes it was other places, and then it was moved to Jerusalem until the temple is built to replace it. Um, In Nehemiah chapter 8, they celebrate this as well. Jesus in John 7 is in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. And this is such a a, a fun feast because in Deuteronomy 16, why keep the feast? Literally, because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands so that you will be altogether joyful. So there's fruits and there's produce and there's eating and there's lots of fun in um, in this feast. And again, it points to Jesus, who is um, the fulfillment of something that was, that was temporary, that was meant to lead to something else. And that is the covenant that God made with his people. It was meant to be replaced by a new covenant. So that when Jesus celebrates, he says that this is a new covenant in my blood. So important for us to look at how these feasts were celebrated and to incorporate some of those things into our own lives. And these can be incorporated into your, your private quiet time, your devotions with the Lord. You can, how, ma- how many of you have journals that you look back on? Anybody have, you write, you write stuff down, you have sermon notes or something, you look back on those things and, and you can celebrate what the Lord has done. You laugh at how stupid you were seven years ago. You, you think about the things that you've learned. You, you remember with joy how God provided for something that you totally forgot about. Um, th- this is, we can do personally, we can do this in our families, we can do this as couples, we can do this as small groups, we can do this as a church, can't we? we can look back. How many of you um, were here at this church before this addition was built? How many of you were here? Okay, look at that. Oh, it's only like half. Some of you are like, what? <laughs> yeah, when, when we first started coming to this church in 2006, we were right in the middle of the construction project of adding the bathrooms over here. Um, what a fun thing to look back at God's faithfulness in providing um, the resources, the funds, um, the manpower to do that. And we can look at um, what Norm and Chuck are doing with the, the new windows on this building, and thank God for how he's provided uh, these new windows. When we have baptisms in the church service, how many of you are encouraged by baptisms? Oh yeah. I tell, I tell all the people in our baptism classes who tend to be younger people, I say, you're going to make the older people in our congregation especially so happy to see young people baptized into the church, following Jesus with their lives. Clearly we do this every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And the same problem the Jews had with celebrating the feast three times a year, every year, blah, 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 blah. That same thing can happen to us too with the Lord's Supper, right? Anybody zoned out during the Lord's Supper? You can admit it, it's okay, we can be honest here. It's kind of like, oh wait, I'm putting the glass to my lips, what just happened? (laughs) Everyone else is doing it, okay, right? Uh, We do it every month and if we're not careful, lest you forget. We forget what we're doing. And we need to be the kind of people that remember and celebrate. Specifically, Jesus gave us baptism in the Lord's Supper to practice. But in our songs, we remember what God has done and we celebrate. Um, in our lives, we can remember what God has done and we can celebrate. I'd encourage you to handwrite a thank you card to someone in your life who impacted you spiritually. Do, do that soon. Just write them a note and say, hey, I was thinking... Uh, I'm thinking of what you did for me back then. And it really impacted me. It was such a helpful thing for me. Thank you so much. Think about doing that. I had a, um, a junior high staff member who, when I was in eighth grade, just took me another guy aside and said, hey, you want to study the book of John together? I don't know if I really wanted to study the book of John, but I wanted to do it with him. And so we, we studied the whole thing, and that was a, a huge uh, impact on my spiritual life as a 13-year-old. Think of those things. Remember those things and celebrate. The way that God set things up is that we need to remember, we need to take the time, the discipline to look back and to see what God has done, not just for us, but for the people of God of which we are a part. And so we can look back at these Jewish feasts instituted 3,500 years ago and take so many lessons from them into our lives. Now this year has provided memories, has it not? Some different kinds of memories— we're in the midst of it still. But let me tell you, in, in 2030, when some of us are still here, we're going to look back at, wow, 10 years ago, 10 years ago, COVID 19. And we have a choice. We have a choice of, of what to look back on and how to look back on it. I just think that next September we'll be looking back at 20 years since 9 11. It's an amazing thing to think about. Think about birthdays and anniversaries this year. When we look back and see, what God has done, and His faithfulness in our lives. It's so important for us to do this as a church as well, so that together we remember and celebrate. In fact, in two weeks, uh, we're going to do that. Pastor Ron's going to have more instructions for us, but in two weeks, we want to actually share, as a congregation, what God has done in this crazy year. We want to look back and see, even in the midst of the struggle and the suffering, what has God taught us, and what has God done for us? Um, It's been a, a difficult year for many of you. For some, it, it maybe may not has been that different other than the masks and the things being closed, but, but there has been tragedy that has touched our families. There's been difficulty that's touched our church family. We're outside. Um, I know some of you, this is your preferred place of worship. I can't wait to get back in those comfy chairs in there. Um, but, but we're going to have this opportunity as a church to remember and to celebrate, and it is thoroughly biblical to do so. It's a biblical pattern that we should follow in remembering and celebrating. Now, some of us, we're not so good at this. I'm one of them. Uh, what's next? Where are we going? What's happening? Let's keep moving. But it takes discipline to stop and to look back and to see what God has done and then to rejoice over it. I, I hope that maybe some of you have your interest piqued in the, the ta- in, in the feasts. I have some resources if you want take a deeper look at some of the the feasts and the festivals of the Old Testament. You could certainly go to um, a ministry like Chosen People Ministries and go to their website. They have so many good things there. Or Jews for Jesus. Jews for Jesus was here with us in March for the Passover Seder. Um, We support a missionary, Michael Zinn, who lives in Jerusalem um, and is in charge of Chosen People Ministries there in Israel. They have so many great resources if you want to dive in further to this subject. So I hope that that gives you some context and helps you um, understand what God has done for us and what God is doing and how he has set up not only ancient Israel to celebrate, but also the church of Jesus Christ. So let's close in prayer. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has kept us in life and has preserved us and enabled us to reach this season. And Lord, that Jewish holiday blessing applies to us Christians as well. That you have kept us in life. You have preserved us. And you have enabled us to reach this season. We have not um, done all the work to keep ourselves healthy. You are the one who determines um, our, our lives. Lord, our breath is in your hands. Let us never forget those things. Let us, let us live um, life uh, disciplined, healthy. Um, Lord, help us to pursue those things that you would have us pursue. But Lord, help us never to forget that you are the one who enables us to do those things, that you are the one who has given us the skills, the family, the education, all of that was from you. God, may we be the type of people that remember and celebrate, that we would look back and that we would feast on the things that you have done, and that literally and figuratively we would feast and celebrate uh, on what you have done in our lives. Lord, we thank you just for um, for meeting Holly this morning and the reminder of new life. Lord, we, we pray that you would always help us to look back so that we can look forward, that we would look back so that we can live faithful lives for you in what you have for us in the future. And Lord, I pray that you would go with us this day, help us um, in this Christmas season to, um, to have times to enjoy the lights and the presents and the, TV specials, and the movies, and the time with family, and the candy, and the candy, and the candy, and for all of the good things that you have given to us, and in all of that, Lord, may we we remember the promise that you made thousands of years before to Abraham came true with a teenage girl and her husband in a stable in Bethlehem when the king of the universe was born. And Jesus, we thank you for that incalculable sacrifice to leave your throne in heaven, to enter a virgin's womb, to be born away from home, to be evacuated to Egypt, Lord, to grow up in a podunk hick town in Galilee, so that one day you might bear our sins on the cross and promise us eternal life and forgiveness of those sins when you rose from the dead. And Lord, we thank you for your spirit which you poured out on the church at Pentecost, at the feast. And Lord, that now we have your spirit in us so that we might live lives that please you and that reach our neighbors and this world for Jesus. Go with us this day. In his name we pray. Amen.